Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Enhancing Long-Term Survival in Unresectable HCC, Optimizing First-Line Immunotherapy-Based Combination Regimens. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from AstraZeneca. So hi, I'm Dr. Jean-Marie Louet. I'm Professor of Medicine and Director of the Liver Cancer Program at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, New York. I'm also Professor of Medicine and Research at the Liver Unit in the Bach Hospital Clinic in Barcelona. This program aims to improve the understanding of management of patients with advanced HCC. Now let's review the guideline recommendation for the management of unresectable HCC. Principle, the management of HCC is based on the BCLC staging classification that divides the patients in five stages. Patients at intermediate stages, those with multinodular tumors, are suitable for local regional therapies like chemobolization or radiembolization. And if they have contraindications for those regimes or they are at advanced stages, they will be treated with systemic therapies. There have been a revolution in the management of HCC, and now we have several regimes that are effective for patients with advanced HCC. According to guidelines, in frontline advanced HCC, if the patients can tolerate immunotherapies, atezolizumab plus bevacizumab is the frontline recommended therapy, particularly for those patients that are not at risk of bleeding. Also, durvalumab and tremelinumab is a regime considered, particularly for patients at risk of GI bleeding and patients with contraindications for bevacizumab. In patients with any contraindications for immunotherapy, sorafenib or lingvatinib are still the frontline therapies for advanced HCC. So having reviewed the guidelines, in the next session, let's review the efficacy of the available and preferred options for first-line treatment of patients with advanced HCC. Sorafenib was the first drug approved in 2008 and showed a significant efficacy versus placebo with a median survival of 10.7 months and became the standard of care. Another alternative for frontline therapies to sorafenib in case of TKIs is lenvatinib. In the REFLECT trial, both drugs show a similar outcome. Subgroup analysis have shown that patients with hepatitis C virus-related HCC and liver-only disease respond probably better with sorafenib regime, whereas patients with hepatitis B virus infection or patients with very aggressive disease and with a high tumor burden have been shown in subgroup analysis to respond better to body. So we can have also in consideration patients that have frontline contraindications for immunotherapy. We can choose between sorafenib and lenvatinib Otherwise, we're using immune-based regimes, atezolizumab, plasvirocizumab, or durvatrevenstritrazib. Very recently, in 2020, the combination of atezolizumab plus bevacizumab has shown superiority in terms of efficacy compared to sorafenib in frontline advanced HCC. In addition, atezolizumab plus bevacizumab show differences in terms of progression-free survival. Another regime, the STRIDE regime, tremelinumab plus durvalumab, 
show also survival differences favoring this combination comparing to sorafenib alone. Median survival for the combination was 16.4 months compared to 13.7 months for sorafenib alone. Also, durvolumab alone showed non-inferiority compared to sorafenib in this same randomized control trial. In the strike regime, there were no differences between the strike regime and sorafenib in terms of progression-free survival. In the next section, let's review the safety profiles for these treatment options. So having shown the efficacy supporting the use of immunotherapies, let's move to the safety profile. In terms of grade 3, 4 treatment-related adverse events that are the ones that we are more interested in, Tezolizumab plus Mepacizumab in the Inbrave 150 trial show a percentage of grade 3, 4 treatment-related adverse events of 43%. The most important adverse event related to Tezorbeba actually is hypertension. The same happens with lambatinib, by the way. And this adverse event is quite easy, let's say, to manage with antihypertensive drugs. Relevant adverse events were grade 3, 4, proteinuria, 4% of the patients, and ST increase, 5% of the patients. With the STRIDE regime, we have a similar profile in which we have grade 3-4 that is slightly lower, 25% of the patients show treatment-related adverse events grade 3-4, and in 8% of the patients, these adverse events were leading to discontinuation. I have to say that among these 25% of the patients experiencing adverse events, 12%, so almost half of these patients have grade 3-4 immune-mediated adverse events. And these adverse events generally should be managed with systemic corticosteroids. And these adverse events are mostly related with hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism, and diarrhea. These are the most striking adverse events. And most of them occur already during the first two months of starting the treatment. So in this session, we have analyzed the safety profiles, and we're going to consider in the next session the criteria of selection of the patient. So when we have a patient with advanced HCC, there are four variables that we should consider. First is, do the patient has presence of viruses at risk of bleeding? And has the patient any contraindication for immunotherapy? for instance, autoimmune disease or liver transplantation. Second variable is efficacy. What is the long-term survival? Secondary endpoints like progression-free and objective response rate can help us in decision-making. The third variable is the safety, particularly grade 3, 4, 3-mercolated bands. And the fourth variable is the patient-reported outcomes, meaning the quality of life of patients. For instance, if we take the two main regimes, ATESO plus MEBA or STRIPE, we have gone through the efficacy that is 19.2 month median survival for ATESO BEB, 16.4 for STRIPE. However, we also need to highlight the long term outcome of the regimes. And in the case of STRIPE, the four-year survival of patients with the STRIDE regime was 25% compared to the 15% of the median of the survival at four years of sorafenib alone. 
So this is something that needs to be taken into account. Another issue that needs to be taken into account is the safety profile. In a recent network meta-analysis comparing the safety profile of all the frontline regimes, there were no significant differences between the two top regimes that we have been analyzing so far, atezolizumab plus bevacizumab or durbatramid. And the only regime that was highlighted to be significantly worse in terms of safety was the combination of carbonizumab, ribocelerib, that as you know, is a combination that have been shown in a trial mostly conducted in Asia to be superior to serafinib. Well, when you decide about the treatment of the patient, aside of listening also what the patient is expecting for the treatment, it's very important to understand the safety profile that also may impact the patient-reported outcomes or the quality of life of the patient. In the next session, let's talk about how these options impact the quality of life of the patient. So we have reviewed the decision-making and the criteria, but finally, I just want to highlight that also we need to have a watch on the quality of life of the patient. And interestingly enough, the two main immune-based regimes, atezolizumab plus bevacizumab and the strength regime, have reported the quality of life related to the administration of therapies. And the quality of life was measured as the time to the carburetion that was 11.2 months for atezolizumab, 3.6 months for sorafenib. So atezolizumab plus bevacizumab was significantly better in terms of improving or maintaining the quality of life of the patient. And in the stride regime, the median time to deterioration was 7.5 months for the stride regime and 5.7 months for the sorafenib regime. The opinion of the patients is important in the decision-making, and we need to be receptive to their will in a sense that some of the patients care about, for instance, the quality of life and the treatment-related events a lot, and we need to balance a decision based on that, whereas others see, for instance, an immediate response that we can check response of these regimes at two, three months, Objective response is a very good readout for the physicians and the patients very early on to know if this drug will impact in overall survival. It's something that we also need to take into account. So finally, as a conclusion of the program, with the new regimes, we are now in a completely different position than 15 years ago. We have a lot of alternative and some of the alternatives are very good, I would say, in frontline, and we can provide a lot of hope to these patients as opposed to what happened years ago that we only have one regime that we could offer. This also explains why some physicians even are considering these regimes in patients at intermediate stage of the disease. Very early on, when the patients progress to local regional therapies, they switch, and it is recommended to switch to systemic therapies very early on, considering that if even the frontline therapy regime is not efficacious, we have additional layers of alternatives to these regimes, even up to three lines of therapies. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.